This is H.P. Mallory, best-selling author of the Jolie Wilkins series. I clenched my eyes closed again, gripped the coverlet, and allowed Sci-Fi Saturday Night to take me to my own nirvana. Tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think of them as noisy. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It can take us to the planet of truth. Come fight, come fight, and we will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. It's TalkCast144. Welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. It's another happy night here in Area 51. I am the Dome. Joining us tonight are the usual suspects. In the Revere Time Vortex, our violent soundboard vixen and killer of the undead, Kriana. Hello, I would like to remind anyone listening live tonight to log into Ustream and post your comments in the chat room. Because you can do that. Yes, From can. the stacks of her personal <laughs> silent zone in the Dank Dungeon reading room, it's the evil Zombrarian. I I get so uncomfortable when we use that opener. <laughs> I'm still recovering. I need a minute. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Jeff. She's got the vapors, everyone. Okay. From the Four Color Vault of Comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, a young lad with blood and chrome, Illustrator X. This show makes me feel funny. <laughs> and his lovely ingenuity <laughs> makes him feel funny. His sweet undead spouse, the dead redhead. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. I have if no you say so. Wow. <laughs> you know, every week our, our intros just go as flat as stale soda. Ah. <laughs> uh. That was what? a very nice what? X. What? I know. I know. X is mean. Hit him, dead redhead. No. Ow. Who <laughs> <laughs> that is fun, Dome. That is it. I, <laughs> All you have to do is say, dead redhead, just hit him. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best thing ever, isn't it? Can we just have a whole podcast of us having her hit X? Or would that be a different kind of podcast? It would be a different kind of podcast. We could, the sponsors couldn't afford us for Besides, that. Besides, I'd have to get the whips and the handcuffs up. Right? I am in support of this. <laughs> yeah, I think... We thoroughly frightened our guest. Well, we could. We could. Our guest tonight is uh, a young lady we met at Boston Comic Con, Rhiannon McCullough. Rhiannon, welcome to the show. Hello. <laughs> I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. Right. I'm on a cell phone. The future is now. <laughs> you say that now. <laughs> Wait, we've got an hour to go yet. <laughs> so let's start where we normally start at this time of night, uh, and that is with the news. Before we start the news tonight, there is an event going on somewhere across the Atlantic that may or may not have something to do with five rings in a crumpet-laden land. The event that shall not be named. That's right. Because, bum, bum, bum. It, 
because if we do name it, we will be sued. So, uh, excuse me, committee of the five rings in that crumpet-laden land, screw you. Wait, wait, wait. It's the, it's the committee of five rings in um, our wonderful ooh. homeland. Oh, it is? Guys, guys, yeah. wait a minute. We, we've got the Tolkien estate online, too. They've asked us to change it to the committee of five circular metal bands. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> Wow, we, we, we pissed everyone off, haven't we, now? Oh, God. I, for one, welcome our five-ringed overlords. <laughs> but uh, apparently they're, they're saying that, you know, yes, it is a very boring event that happens every four years. So totally. they're making it interesting, and they've actually... Um, apparently we're supposed to see a 40-foot Voldemort... King who must not be named go head-to-head -head with Mary Poppins. At which the event, why, which must not which be Which is named. why I talked about having a spoonful of sugar helping the medicine go down. That's uh, from Mary Poppins. Uh, also, X, I would like to point out, it's not just one Mary Poppins, it's an army of Mary Poppinses. Well, that's lovely. Isn't that great? I'm well, cool super uh, excited. Loverly. <laughs> you have to say it right. <laughs> Guys, and as long as they're not nannies. And if you're listening to this when it gets put up on iTunes, this has already happened, and there's probably YouTube evidence. Yes. Unless we're wrong and it's not going to happen, and then we look extra dumb. Because well, it looks CNN like we're talking about it after it didn't happen. So, Dead Redhead, if it's all nannies, does that mean they're all doing Fran Drescher impressions? No, I was more hey. Oh, stop it. You, you sound more... What's his name from the family guy? No. No, I bet that if they were nannies, somebody would end up getting shaken. You know, never mind. Oh, God. Don't shake the babies. <laughs> Don't shake the babies. What I think is funny about this, though, is that this is... Uh, pretty much stolen from a major plot point of, of the last League of Extraordinary Gentlemen comic. So for once, Alan Moore is getting stolen from instead of stealing from. <laughs> there, there, is, there is distinct irony to be had in this event, yes. There at is. many levels. <laughs> if it's true, which I will add to everything here. Yes. If it's true. If in fact this is true, then this is kind of cool. Uh, so... Uh, there was some uh, fairly interesting television news this week. Uh, Alphas and Warehouse 13 opened their respective new seasons on Sci-Fi Channel. Uh, for those of you who saw it, uh, for those of you who didn't, we will go fairly spoiler-free with this. But the reality is both shows showed really, really interesting promise for the new season. Alphas, uh, which last year was kind of uneven, came out incredibly strong. Absolutely incredibly strong. And Warehouse 13, sorry, you gotta love it. It's just an amazing show. Uh, it now, takes is, it true that, is it true that Artie was in a dress? Yes. Ah! Well then. Uh, but the, um, no spoilers. <laughs> more yeah. of silence there while we all contemplate. Well, we all contemplated that. I was actually <laughs> contemplating the fact that in like five to 
10 to maybe even 15 years, Artie is going to be a really popular name for babies because of Glee plus Warehouse 13. You've got, you know, all the geeks. So you've got a curmudgeon in a wheelchair? A what? A curmudgeon in a wheelchair? Yes. (laughs) That was done in the 70s. I believe the show was called Ironside. Anyway. Yes. Ah. So what should we talk about now, guys? Uh, well, well you won't believe what Terry Gilliam's daughter found in his drawers. What? What did she find? What was this? <laughs> OMG. Terry Gilliam's daughter has been uh, putting up a blog uh, over the last few weeks, just basically clearing out her dad's stuff. And every day she's like, look what I found. And... Like, she went through a desk drawer, clearing it out, and found all the original animation pieces for the opening to Monty Python. Like, she, he was like, hey, I found the foot. It was just sort of thrown in the back. Uh... Oh, and then this was like, hey, this was behind the couch. It's the knights from the animation for Holy Grail. I mean, if you go to her blog, which we will have on the website, it's like every day she digs up another gem. And and the cool thing is, it's just all there. Yeah, I mean, it's like, there's this is my growing up stuff right here, because you know I was like spoon fed on Monty Python. Eric Idle and Terry Gilliam were just like amazing, and uh, you know, July nineteenth, discovery of the day, the opening title sequence to Monty Python's Flying Circus, hand drawn, hand painted, and hand cut out, and then moved around. How cool is that? And, and you know what? Since it was just sort of thrown in the back, obviously the Gilliams don't want it. Right. Uh, so, you know, send it on over. Give you know what? Us. All right, Terry, we know you're a big fan of the show. Absolutely. Send it on over. <laughs> we're, not too, we're not too proud to beg. Joss and, Whedon will really enjoy seeing it the next time we have him on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> With J.J. Abrams. <laughs> Are you kidding? So, Joss Whedon's like our number one fan. Hi, Joss. We know you're listening. Yes. Of course. <laughs> you're in good company, Rhiannon. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm intimidated now. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Just as good as Firefly. Soever. So there was an interesting uh, article about, you know, we've been doing a lot of Star Trek stuff talk about. Wow, that. What the hell just came out of my mouth? I don't know, former English teacher. Holy crap. Jesus, I've got to really stop drinking before shows. Got to do it during the shows, we tell you. (laughs) (laughs) We've been talking a lot about Star Trek and the different incarnations of it, the different movies, the different television series, uh, which we liked, which we didn't like. Uh, My personal favorite of all of them was Deep Space Nine. And that seems to be universally reviled by most people. But uh, there was an interesting... With good reason. You mean no. deep sleep, Nine? Hey, 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 hey. You tell me who had a cooler holodeck. Nobody. I don't know. I didn't go on it. So. Janeway had that whole turn of the screw plot line within a plot line like on the holodeck. And that was possibly my favorite ever. So I'm going to go with Voyager. 
it's funny because Robert Beltran, who played Chakotay on Voyager, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> um, didn't really much care for it, I guess. Really, he refers to it as Voyager was safe, predictable, and comfortable. It could have taken Trek in a different direction, but it never seized any of its potential, and he didn't much care for it. Well, Which is kind of interesting because he was kind of one of the seminal characters. He was. <laughs> you said seminal. Yes, I did. He was one of the few seminal characters on that show. Oh, Voyager was not a sausage fest, that's for sure. Careful. <laughs> um, my brother uh, teaches high school in uh, English and was just telling me that uh, some of the freshman class had actually mentioned to him recently that he made some sort of Star Trek reference and he says, oh, I get it. You don't, you, you, you're not familiar with this. He goes, no, no, you know, we've never actually watched an episode of any of the Star Treks. It hasn't been on. What is, why is there such a big deal about this thing? <laughs> and he was just like, are you kidding me? He says, it's not on the air. They don't care. It's already slipping away. Or if it's not on YouTube, but yeah. Yeah, but they don't, they have no incentive to go and watch it. What? Yeah, this is, think this... about that. What? Well, but I mean, if you This is stupid. It, no, this Keanu is totally stupid. Young, they were already in reruns when we were teenagers. I know, but we actually w bothered to watch reruns. I watch reruns all the time. So I much, sit and so watch much... Amazon Prime Video On Demand. We are not paid to say that. Um... <laughs> well, I'm just sitting around. I, are you kidding? Like, it, I was just sitting, going through the first episode and first season of Stargate SG-1. That was from frickin' 1999. Cannot tell me I don't watch reruns. Okay. But, Kriana, you... I hate to break it Am to I you. old? You are no longer a young person. No. Like, you're, we're younger than everybody else on the show, but we're not... We're further. We're from still digital natives. Yeah, but we're pushing thirty. Mm. I can talk about the kids that we yell at to get off our lawn. Hey, they should be off our damn lawns. They should be off our lawn. I work hard on our lawn, but I'm just saying. Those okay. bastards. They they can be on the lawn as long as they're watching Star Trek. How about that? Yes, if they're watching Star Trek. Through the window, they can be on the lawn. That's the only reason. <laughs> no, but it is true that I guess, you know, there's uh, probably the generation coming up has never really seen a Star Trek television series. And if um, they re-ran them, I don't know. I mean, all the fans who watched them originally or watched them like I watched them in reruns on you know, in the afternoons after I watched Rosie O'Donnell. Oh. <laughs> Ouch. Wow. <laughs> okay, we are old. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, gentlemen. we would watch them, but I don't know that the kids these days would watch Star Trek if they were, were rerun. Because some of them are pretty hokey. And for us, that's part of the There's charm, but I don't know... Well, if you, I'm sorry, but if you look at the original series, a lot of it just doesn't stand up anymore. 
Yeah, well, a lot of next I don't gen care. I love the old school. Yeah, There's... we love it. And we, but we've got this nostalgia attached to it. I don't know if somebody coming to it new would necessarily love it. I think if we want kids these days to watch Star Trek, it would have to be a new <laughs> series. Look at the whole Star Wars thing. When we were saying, oh, how we all hate Jar Jar Binks, blah, blah, blah. And then we heard that kids were, uh, like, 10 to 15-year-olds were like, we actually it's like Jar Jar Binks. Those are freaking 10 to 15-year-olds. But wait, wait. Well, exactly. And then the littler ones were like, they didn't even get those movies. They only like the cartoons. Yep. The Clone Wars cartoon. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a weird situation that we're in because there's so much of there's so much of Star Trek out there. Well, you know what? There's so much sci-fi. There's we have such a rich heritage to draw on now. That's the thing. We have so much. You literally cannot see all the sci-fi TV movies, read the books, everything. I mean, I've just just discovered like reading Arthur Machen and Algernon Blackwood stories from the 19th century and I'm like oh my god this is great stuff but you know no one even talks about this stuff anymore you're going to lose things it happens you know and and, well we were talking to Spider Robinson a couple months back and basically you know there's just not enough time for it all anymore well that's true there is that as well I mean there's there's an overload that requires us to filter and really either pick and choose with with precision what it is we want to ingest or be inundated with garbage Hmm. and there's an awful lot of people who are being inundated with garbage right now well there's lots of garbage out there well there is and 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 not only that sometimes Hmm. people come around and spoil it for you Oh, speaking of spoilers, um, <laughs> that was his attempt at a segue. Ouch. Um, <laughs> Can we have the bad I, I don't even want to acknowledge that. Okay. So, NPR actually had a good story on today talking about spoilers and how they actually did research. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, your, your tax dollars at work. They actually did research... To figure out if spoilers were good for you or not. And actually, this was kind of interesting. They said that spoilers in TV shows and movies actually made people want to see them more. But spoilers for anything that was printed, anything by the written word, that it would just leave people cold and they would stop reading whatever it was they were reading. I don't think that's true. I think that's laziness. I don't don't think that's true. Because well, then you do your own. Well, I did. Thing. Like, like who who <laughs> has stopped? You know, reading Harry Potter because someone told them the end. <gasps> he lives. He no. Like, oh, people shit. have stopped. Sorry. People didn't read Harry the um fifth Harry Potter or the sixth the sixth Harry Potter because. There were spoilers about the major death that happened. Wah. That's what I have to say. Right. Like, wah. I, I really think that's laziness more than anything else. Oh, I yeah. don't mind spoilers personally, um, because I, I can kind of filter out their effect. You know, 
which is how I kind of feel. But I, I think it was interesting that there was a difference, which I think lends to imaginations. Because if you think about it, if somebody tells you, well, this happened in the movie or the, um, the TV show, you, you kind of have in your mind, oh, I wonder how they're going to do that. How are they going to make that happen? Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious if, if he's your father, plot. that's just kind of how it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but the yeah. worst... The worst you know, spoiler that ever something. occurred was uh, we were watching a movie. Uh, me and Doctor K went to go he's see not a, really a doctor. bad movie called Alien Mind. Well, he's he's an amateur yeah, gynecologist, that's... but that's a whole other story. Oh. Uh, <laughs> totally you. And K, if you're listening tonight, tip of the hat, wag of the also finger, whatever. You. Yeah. Slap yeah. of the restraining. Order. Slap of the restraining. <laughs> We went to go see a movie, Enemy Mine, which was based on a book by Alan oh, Dean. Oh, God. God. Louis Gossett Jr. Sounds like something. Now, ah. Dennis Quaid, Louis Gossett Jr., fairly bad movie. Uh, yeah. Based on a fairly, fairly average book. Okay. Here's the problem. We're sitting there in the movie, and we basically talked through it because we were one of five people in the theater, and the movie was kind of boring. And we get to this really cool part in the movie, and I said, now, here's where the movie gets really good, because in the book, they do da-da-da-da-da, and the credits roll. Uh-huh. And I went, and I started yelling at the screen, going, that's not where you end the movie! This is kind of how I felt about Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. Well, this isn't about Tom Bombadil. No, it has nothing to do with Tom Bombadil. Tom Bombadil is like the least relevant thing in Lord of the Rings. And they were right to cut him. Yeah. But the end was not acceptable. The end was just not acceptable. The end was a give-out. It was a complete cop-out. It was a sell-out. It's pretty much any other thing that ends with out that's bad. I made a child cry at the end of the Golden Compass, the movie, because I started yelling about a character who happens to that child was me, and how he should have died, and there was a kid in front of us, and he started yelling. That that child was me. That book is one of the best endings I've ever come across. That is a fantastic ending, and. Yeah, they totally sold out on the movie. For the they end. did, and so but it did I have no giant, problem. but it did have giant CGI polar bear fights. So yes, yes. this this awesome opportunity for parallelism because in the book, the first sentence and the last sentence are almost exactly the same, and they could have had almost exactly the same scene at the beginning and end of the movie, and they chose not to do it, and that was dumb. The end. And they all died. Thank you. English. For people who care about that sort of thing, they might have been upset. So, so we're always talking about spoilers, so I thought that I'd throw that in there. Tonight. Brianna, you wanted to talk about John Stewart? Well, I mean, as long as we're talking about television and general douchebaggery, we could yeah. might as well talk about Viacom, who owns Star Trek. Yeah, they do. Okay, okay. What? General douchebaggery. It happens. It happens. Okay. So, so Viacom and DirecTV got into a little, a little fight. They were not playing nice together. And, of course, you know, they decided to put consumers in the middle, like they always do. 
and DirecTV yep. was airing nasty messages, and Viacom was putting out nasty press releases. They were everyone was blaming the other person. And then DirecTV was like, you know what, guys, we're sorry about this. We're trying to keep your prices down. And let's face it, you're you're a little more sympathetic to the cable company anyway, right? Because you don't want your prices to get higher, right? All right, right, you're, right. You're gonna kind of side with them a little bit, and they're like, guys. While you, you can't get it on your cable right now, we're sorry about that. But here's where you can get it online. And Viacom heard this and they're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to pull our shows. We're going to pull the Daily Show. We're going to pull the Colbert Report. Now, how fucking stupid does Viacom have to be to choose those two shows to pull? <laughs> what the fuck were they thinking? So Jon Stewart comes back on the day they're back on the air. And he goes nuts on them. It was really funny. Everyone should watch it. But like the these ca- these cable companies and these media companies think that it's okay to hold consumers hostage. Fucking download a torrent, okay guys? Screw them all. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Not not that we're advocating recommending or advocating that Just you do, it. do that. <laughs> Screw them all. <laughs> You know, at some point, these companies are going to figure out that not only do they not have a stranglehold on the consumer, it's essentially the other way around. The consumer has a stranglehold on them, and you fuck with the consumer long enough, the consumer is going to move elsewhere. It's not like your content can't can't be found elsewhere, because it can. There's always somewhere else. There is always somewhere else. Speaking of consumers, yes, can I talk about a Kickstarter project? You can. Oh, sure. You can. Thank you. And then I'm going to talk about one too. I won't get as as voluptuously voluptuously excited. Voluptuously excited about this as I did for Voltaire. Oh my goodness! Sci-fi Saturday night. We are voluptuously. Excited. At least Dead Redhead is. <laughs> but, <laughs> but okay. So the flaming carrot. I know Woo! people make fun of some of the stuff I watch and listen to. Really? And all that Can't stuff. imagine why. And I don't. I don't care. Screw all of you. There's a comic book that's been out since the early 80s, because, yeah, I am that old, and we've talked about that before. And it's called The Flaming Carrot, and it was created by a genius by the name of Bob Burden. And, Bob, if you're listening... I, one of these days, I will wear hot pants for you. I swear to God, if I get to meet you, I will wear hot pants for you. Anyway, um, Mr. Burden is trying to put out a new hardcover book of some of the above said Flaming Carrots on Kickstarter. And, I mean, you can pledge as much as one dollar. Or as little as one dollar. One dollar. I will be giving him more than one dollar, but he has all kinds of really, really, really cool flaming carrot stuff. And this is a really fun series, guys. This is it's superheroes with meet surrealism. I mean, flaming carrot plays chess with death. And no, no, remember, he said he's not going to play chess, he's going to play Twister. That's right, he played Twister (laughs) with death. And we meet the artless Dodger. And there was <laughs> there was the dead dog. There was the floating dead dog who was in several episodes. Well, well that's, I mean, they, most people will know it from the movie Mystery Men that came out in yes. uh, the late 90s. That was a, Those characters debuted in The Flaming Carrot. And that was all a spinoff of The Flaming Carrot. It is, it is a brilliant... Seriously? 
Seriously? Yeah. Oh yeah, those Ooh, are second stringers yeah. in the flame. The flame Bob Burton created that because that's one of my favorite movies of all time. He then, created those characters. Oh, they didn't even get to characters like the Strangler or any of them. I mean, no, I think uh, the Strangler showed up during the audition scene. The oh, um, put it this way: the Flaming Carrot. One of the the issues he defeats an alien invasion because he explains the concept of income tax to them, and they were so horrified they ran away. Um, <laughs> There's also a, a, like a, a issue this guy did called Robot Comics, and one of the panels has Harry Lyme from The Third Man discussing to his friend at the bar how he's invented a, a method of extracting teeth from Wednesdays. I mean, this is stuff you're just like, I, I need to get into drugs I love Bob so Burton. I can understand this better. <laughs> I used to have I used to have this idea in my brain that Bob Burden was actually this guy who is actually locked up in a mental facility and the reason that the flaming carrot was so late is because they only let him have pens periodically so he wasn't allowed to have sharp things this is what kind of craziness we're talking about and so you know go over to kickstarter and look it up bob burden's flaming carrot kickstarter project and give the man some money he's been around for a very long time his art nobody draws like bob burden nobody draws like bob burden and while you're on kickstarter you can find an even cooler project hey, hey. it's something to do with zombies okay ted redhead you like zombies I do. I well, do. our good friend Mike Doherty is making a zombie movie. Yes, and he is. he is our good friend. Therefore, yes. he, he is about, what, $4,000 away from hitting his goal? Actually, less, less than $4,000. 16 days to go. He's going to make it, man. Yeah, he's Damn, totally right. going to make it. And he's going to make the film, and we're going to be in it. He's going to make it. Sorry. Ouch. <laughs> it's Zombrian yeah. Sings Night here on. Well, that's Life terrifying, Mike. Here's something for your movie. Yes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> kind of me. Watch out, X Mike. Just hit him. It's hit him. Hit him. Hit him. Yeah, keep hitting, hitting him. him. Yeah, it's totally fun. Beat him until he stops. Or until he bleeds. Whichever one you feel like. If I bring up the pole now, <laughs> would you still be hitting me? <laughs> She's not going to stop, stop. That's okay. You just keep hitting him. Yeah, We're good with this. Totally. Before we get to the pole, see, I'm going to make him wait now. <laughs> um, a very quick goodbye to two people who left us this week. First of all, Sally Ride, the first woman in, uh, first American in space, American first woman in space. First woman in. First American woman the in. First female astronaut. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Who uh, died earlier this week and last week? Who else died? X. Uh, this week we've uh, we've lost Mary Tam, who Doctor Who fans will know as the first character to play the Romana who was a Time Lord companion to the Doctor, and the first companion to really say, no, 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 Doctor, you are my companion, and you are a half-assed Time Lord at that, and we're going to do things my way. Yeah. And I she would have liked her. Yeah, she was the companion through the Key to Time seri uh, series, um, 
in the Tom Baker era, and she was very good. She also appeared on things like EastEnders because you can't be British and an actress unless you've been on EastEnders. Evidently <laughs> not. Yeah. No. So. Yeah, but then Lala Ward took over, and I like Lala. Don't be bringing up Lala Ward and Mary Tam's, you know. I'm sorry. I'm here. just saying. All right then. But. Paul. Well, usually Dome, Dome usually tells me when it is. It time for the pole dome. Well, I'll, only if you hit him again. Shall I pole dance now? <laughs> <laughs> now there's a mental image for our listeners. <laughs> and for him. all of us. <laughs> so I want to put a thank you out to all of our our people who always vote in our poll this week because we had 122 votes. Yay! Squee! Yay! We broke 100. That's a thing, isn't it? It is. It's awesome. It is a thing. So, in honor of this, one of the people who voted for our winning poll will be chosen at random to win a special random prize from random me. Wow, that was specific. Dome promises he might give you something someday for some reason, sometime. My gift is that every time the poll goes over 100 for the rest of this month, or next month actually, because this month is over. But next month, every time the poll goes over 100 people, people who voted in the winning category, one of them will be chosen at random to win a random prize. You Do I have to whip that? out my random, random number folks, generator? Something in one of Dome's drawers. Oh my. Careful. <laughs> okay, so this week, this week we asked everybody what was the worst science fiction movie of all time. So. What a variety of answers. What a variety. I'm very proud. At least I have never to. seen this many different categories. No kidding. People went above and beyond. You know, I got to say, you know, I am disappointed. Uh, we didn't get nearly as many votes as I had hoped for for Phantom Menace. <laughs> or Superman Returns. <laughs> or Superman Returns. I am personally proud that Electra was there. <laughs> yes. And Electra, well, Electra got two votes. Absolutely. I'm very so, proud of that. Coming in third place is a personal favorite of the Dead Redheads. You you all can just whatever because this is one of my favorite movies of all time. I don't care. But Plan 9 from Outer Space, I would like to say a little I I'm lighting my candle for Ed Wood. I'm a huge Ed Wood fan and Put on put on your fuzzy uh cashmere sweater. I will. <laughs> put on my cashmere sweater for Ed in his honor. I, I would like to announce that I've just been butt dialed. <laughs> you know by I do know by whom, but I'm not going to say. By Ed Wood from oh. the grave? Wait a minute. Angora sweater, yes. I have. So, coming at number two, I'm very proud to say that the second worst movie, science fiction movie of all time by our listeners, is Waterworld. <laughs> okay, that's one of the best bad movies in the world. That's in my top five. It might it be the best bad movie I know of. It's so bad. It's so but bad, but it's I so really, fun. I cannot disagree with the winner. 
Uh, and here, no, it, yeah, and the number winner. one, which every was by clear and away the winner, and I what certainly, a landslide of votes for this. It's a landslide of votes, and I personally feel that I agree that this is probably one of the worst movies of all time, let alone science fiction movies. Battlefield Earth. Oh yes. I can yeah. personally say I have fallen asleep to it at least twice. Yes, you did. We had to stop the movie. You had to w do it, finish the next day, and you fell asleep again. I had to wake you up again. It's like, no, no, we have to finish this. We've I, got I can honestly say I've never finished that movie. It's like Lunestra for me or something. <laughs> oh, my God. What, an, what a kidney stone of a movie. Let's you know, never get that time back. I, I think Joel and the bots would have been broken by this movie. It's just But how many how many mystery science theater movies are there in this in this list? That's well, we have people adding a bunch of them. You, you know, I do like some of the comments that our listeners put down too. Um uh, I'm a little sad to see some of my favorite movies in the running for worst. Waterworld? Really? <laughs> <laughs> The next comment is seriously, fuck District 9. So. <laughs> I will say yes. for our listeners, you can love Waterworld all you want. I love Waterworld. I think it's awesome. But at, you at can this, admit that it's a bad movie. It's right. a bad, bad movie. Bad movie. Top bad only, movie. obviously, Wait, by Battlefield Earth and if they ever make it, Smallville the movie. <laughs> well, they did, and it was called Superman Returns. Yes, oh, true. But with that... My favorite comment was, if Twilight were science fiction, that would be the winner. <laughs> Unbelievable. Just so, so many, so much garbage here. Oh. Start really bad ones. So let's, let's take a turn for the better, then. If we must, must we? We Seriously, must. Is it that time? It is. Oh, well, then let's talk to our guest, Rhiannon McCullough. <laughs> Rhiannon, welcome to this madhouse. Yay. <laughs> You've been I've been enjoying myself over here. <laughs> oh, good. So let's talk about your artwork and what you do. We met you at Boston Comic Con, didn't we? Yes. Uh, yes. And you were and showing. Somebody was wearing a wonderful hungry, hungry hippo game shirt, which I remember vividly as the best t-shirt at the convention. <laughs> I'm awesome, guys. That was you. I love that shirt. Kriana gets credit too because she bought it. Sweet. <laughs> So, Rihanna, let's talk about your art just a little bit. Okie dokie. Uh, um, go ahead. No, no. No, please. <laughs> no, I want no, you. No, I, I, no, I, I, you. Well, um, I, um, I, I am half of, uh, of what's known as McCullough Effect. Um, my brother is the other half. And uh, together, I personally have my own webcomic um, online. And we together, as a unit, have one as well. Um, which he, I, I write and illustrate and color and promote and scream at the computer for my own. And uh, he, uh, he's the illustrator for the other. Uh, we're collaboratively writing, and I uh, color and ink for that one. Uh, but uh, the first one, mine, because he's not here, 
<laughs> is um, uh, Broken Windmills, which is uh, online. It's been online for a while now. I think we're going up to 140 pages at this point. Oh, my goodness. I've been doing it forever now. Um, <laughs> and uh, you have to understand, now, I didn't go to school for this. This is a hobby. <laughs> and and I tend to do it more than what I went to school for. <laughs> it's a great hobby, and you, you do a terrific job. I really, really like Broken Windmills. Oh, thank you very much. Um, but when I say hobby, it's, it's turning more into profession, as I, as I sit here talking to you, I guess. Um, a, um, ooh, I what to say about it. Artists well, are not the best people to promote their own work sometimes. <laughs> Well, let's talk about what Broken Windmills is about. Your characters in there, and mm-hmm. um, well, it's mostly character driven. A lot of people try to ask, uh, "What's the plot?" Is the question you hear first first off a lot of the times, and usually the answer is, "Well, things happen," <laughs> <laughs> which okay. is the definition of a plot. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's very character driven. So the plot itself is not about um, saving the universe from exploding whatever is exploding this time of week. Um, it's about what's happening to the individual characters. And honestly, in the grander scheme of the world, it probably couldn't have any more influence at all. Nobody else cares. But um, the characters are hopefully what uh, readers are interested in. Um, it's uh, basically the premise. Sorry, hello? No, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm just getting a little bit of garbling from the from the phone, apparently. Um, uh, the basic premise is your two main characters are uh, freelance windmill repairmen in a post-industrial revolution type world. I don't generally tend to like to tie myself down to genres, um, which is actually one of the things I enjoy about things like manga and anime, which I refuse to call my work because I'm not Japanese, and so I don't see why I should. And... Um, they're uh, freelance windmill repairmen. Uh, my friends keep telling me to call it steampunk. I keep refusing to because it isn't. Why, and, why um, do you keep refusing to? Because as I look at it, it has that. It has very much that feel for me. Um, well, I, I, I'm certainly there's a certain influence in it, which I think is steampunk, which is my personal attraction to those styles. Um, and I utilize styles. They're going around in a giant caravan, which is steam powered, um, which is the, the main uh, source of transportation. And I try to, uh, I, I pull styles like stats and, and that sort of physical, uh, uh, visual fashion style a lot. I don't like to call it steampunk because I feel like when people say steampunk, they get an instant concept of something which is mid 1800s with a lot of gears glued to it, with buttons and corsets and things like that. Um, and they're expecting people to have British accents and amazing hats and go, my <laughs> lord, and have, uh, <laughs> I love all that stuff. You Don't get me wrong. Um, and have mad scientists and crazy things like that. And all the things I just mentioned, even though there are other aspects of steampunk that are in Broken Windmills, all the things I just mentioned aren't. Um, I think it was sort of more of a, as a, as a post-industrial punk, perhaps. Uh, I'm still trying, if anybody can, if anybody out there is listening and reads Broken Windmills and would like to get in the shout box 
or email me and say, I think I found a genre for you. Please, <laughs> by all means, I keep asking everyone I know, because when you're at a convention and you hand somebody their business, your business card, they go, so what is it? And you go, uh, two guys in a caravan fixing windmills, and there's, um, there's, there's mob violence at some point, and then there's soul searching. Well, I can, think of, I can think of two examples right off the bat that your work reminds me of. Uh, and the first is, is the work of Terry Moore. Uh, well, I'm not where, familiar with Terry Moore? Oh, Strangers in no. Paradise? No. Yeah. You've never read Strangers in Paradise? Us. Oh, my. Uh, yes. Yeah, uh, Terry's been on the show before. He's been, a, he's been a featured guest at Boston Comic-Con. He's currently doing a series called Rachel Rising. But fans of his will know him. Uh, just he has very, very character-driven storylines where it's, you know, he will. To him, it's not so much the overall plot. It's the fact that the you know, person A cares about person B. But Strangers in Paradise was completely character-driven. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh, and the thing that that reminds me of your work even more is a is a indie series from the '90s called The Waiting Place, and that was by Sean McKeever who has since gone on to be a mainstay in Marvel Comics, but The Waiting Place is a very, very character. It Really, it feels a lot like your stuff. So if you're not familiar with it, then more power to you. <laughs> you know, for well, not... no, I'm not. And I'll, I'll, I now, now they're on my list of things to look at when I actually have five yeah. minutes. Uh, yeah. Because if but... you are currently reading the comic, you will tell me to stop reading things and get on yeah. with it, because we're on a summer hiatus right now. <laughs> Right now, now having said that, I mean, what I like is the fa I'm, I, that. All right, it's interesting that you've never read either of them because you definitely have your own voice. You you are. I I see influences here, but obviously they're not influences. They're similar, but you've hmm. got your own style. You're not influenced by these folks at all. You've got your own stories to tell here. So you know, for those folks who know what I'm talking about, think of the waiting place where people get shot. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, often, often people will, will tell me oh, oh everything you do is so cute uh, and that's mostly my mother but she's going to be saying that until I'm oh 60 um, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah okay maybe my style is cute but one of the main characters um, has been shot eight times once yeah. in the face uh, that's not cute no no not at all um <laughs> <laughs> so it is um it is character driven but there is and it is very slow in in a lot of senses um and i like to think of that less as being slow and more as taking its time because uh, i think that's very important especially in comic books where one of your major um one of your major tools is space physical the physical space of the page um and how that conveys because you don't have it's a non-time driven media it's not like a film where you actually take five seconds to wait on a shot or something like that. Um, I, I always tell myself, stop, slow down, take your time, um, which is what I also keep trying to incorporate into Hiranya Garba, which is our other project, um, which is very difficult because I only write scripts for that, and I don't actually do any of the illustration. So where did you get the idea to do Broken Windmills? How did this, how did this come about? I, I'm frankly fascinated by it. Um, well, I thank you very much. I um, it's a very long story, but I'll try and keep it reasonably short. When I was, I've been drawing comic book like things. For
for since I can remember. I remember sitting on the couch, my dad reading Lord of the Rings to us because he was awesome. And um Circle the metal bands. Huh? <laughs> oh what's going on? We're gonna be doing now that Tolkien again. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, I, I hear that he was from that country across the sea that, that might or might not exist. <laughs> That's the one. That's the one with trumpets. <laughs> um, oh, but I've been drawing comics in some form forever. And um, I sat down. It was my freshman year of college. I sat down in my dorm and I said, I want to start something that's actually going to be with panels and characters and a story. Uh, and give this a try. And um, and I came up with the proto Broken Windmills, which at the time was actually a spaceships in space type science fiction story. And I started writing it, and it started to get away from me, and it started to be huge. And I said to myself, I'm not good enough to do this yet. I can't, I can't draw that well. And so I sat back, and I started writing short crews. Um, which was my first comic, which is a vampire comic, which uh, was very popular because of that, which I'm incredibly embarrassed about in many senses now, but is still online if you really insist that you must read it. <laughs> yes, my German is terrible. I know my German is terrible. I was a German minor. I was trying to get some, uh, some use out of it. Please, I, I apologize to everybody in Germany and Switzerland who reads it, who keep giving me email, sending me emails even today, and I appreciate your help. <laughs> Um, but I, uh, then I finished that in 2006 and said, all right, it's time to move on to, uh, to what at that point was called Razors. And I sat down and I looked at it and I said, this is a pathetic Cowboy Bebop ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're going to rip off an anime, that's a good one to do. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a worse company. And I, and I sat down and I said, I can't do this as, as as it stands, but these characters have their relationships and their plot lines, which you need to expand. And I sat down, I keep banging my head against the wall about it. And eventually I said, take it out of space, put it wherever it wants to be put. And that turned out to be, for some reason, um, repairing windmills in a post-industrial, possibly steampunk setting. Um, and this was also before I got into steampunk in an actual sense. Um, and uh, it kind of just happened, you know, I'm sure you hear authors all the time saying the characters wrote themselves. It's true. That's just how it works. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it's the sort of thing, it started out being much more simple, believe it or not. Um, and again, if you read it, you, you'll know who I'm talking about. Malcolm used to be the main character. Mm -hmm. Originally, that kind of fell by the wayside. The poor guy sort of sits there going, hi, I like you. <laughs> no, never mind. <laughs> um he gets he gets more of his own story later on. He's he's I, I do plan to expand on him, um, but unfortunately he sort of got overshadowed by um, by the more uh, the the more interesting, more dynamic um, past and future plotline uh, that surrounds Blue and Cat. Hmm. Um, okay. But it is uh, it is mostly about. I guess the pitch I tend to give at, at conventions is uh, it's uh, it's two guys running away from their past, and uh, you can only run for so long until you have to stop and turn around and deal with it. And that's certainly happening in in this last chapter we just you just finished. 
yeah, we're smack we're smack dab in the middle of that, and we'll be going we'll be going much more into that in the second half of this chapter, which I will hopefully be updating again in August. Okay. Um, as soon as I'm finished with a extensive rehearsal process that I'm doing with my theater company right now, because I decided somewhere in my in my life that one artistic pursuit, which pays no money, could be easily subsidized by a second. Which also pays no money. Yeah. yeah. Which you. also pays no money and takes as much time, but it's still fun. <laughs> now, now, speaking of theater, um, originally when um, you were going to be coming on the show, you had mentioned that you were going to be doing a zombie musical that seems to have fallen by the wayside. Describe what what the, what was that project all about? Well, that project, uh, the theater company I work with is the Marley Bridges Theater Company, uh, Newport Murder Mystery, and they what we mainly do is Victorian style themed because it's Newport, Rhode Island. It's about the only thing the tourists pay for um, murder mystery weekend things. And at and last two years ago, my goodness, um, we decided to change it up a bit. And we actually did a zombie music musical called, um, Oh, it's very long. We called it menace of the morgue, but it was the early pre-dawn dusk of the reanimated undead zombies of Dr. Menace or something like that. Um, That's an incredibly long title. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very long title. It was written by one of our, uh, our uh, company members, uh, John McKenna from Providence. And it was basically a musical. If say, um, June Beaver was turned into a zombie. Uh, Dr. Menace is an evil um, mad scientist. He has created zombies, and now the world is trying to coexist with our zombie friends. Um, but there's still a whole lot of racism involved in that, for obvious reasons. And his uh, one loved daughter is taken to the prom by a zombie and gets zombified, and now uh, there's a rift that uh, results from that. And uh, they have to bring it together. And in the end, everyone's happy because they've created a serum which turns you to and from a zombie. So you can so become a zombie, go on, out on the town, eat some brains, and it's all okay in the morning. So it's kind of like the Sneetches, but with zombies. Sorry? <laughs> so I was thinking like more like Footloose with zombies, but that's okay. Oh like my. Sneetches, and Sneetches, Sneetches Footloose, mate. <laughs> it's sort of a rock opera. <laughs> so um, that, uh, that project is on hold, but it will eventually recur. Uh, we were going to do it again this... Uh, Halloween, but unfortunately, we just ran into personnel issues. Everybody's getting jobs in different cities and have to leave. Uh, you know, employment is is the bane of the theater industry. It totally it's is. Pretty, it's pretty much the bane of all arts in general. It's like if suddenly somebody well, we, says, "And we'll pay you money to do a thing," and you say, "Well, I can't say no." Well, we've had multiple guests on where they have this great project, and then it's like, yeah, Joe got a, a job on the other side of the country, and Julie had yeah. to go to South America or whatever, and that was the end of it. Yeah. 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 Well, well, six, six, four, season three, people. Exactly. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, say, George. George? George, come on, buddy. We need season three of your show. <laughs> but sorry, go ahead, Rihanna. Uh, Rihanna? Oh, oh, hello. Okay. Hello. <laughs> Hi, welcome Sorry. to Sci-Fi no, Saturday Night. What, what, my goodness, where am I? <laughs> it's okay. What happened? Uh, 
No, the sorry, past, the, the, the phone, the phone does in and out thing. Sorry? The past hour never really Usually happened. they don't blot out the experience until after the show's over. And then they <laughs> ask us to pull down the podcast, but that's all right. Oh my God, what, what did I say? What did I do? Yeah, that's interesting. Well, um, we, need, we need to move forward, unfortunately, at this point. Yeah. Or we could just do the whole show again, you know, whatever. No. I know. If you want to, we can. Next week, we go April, the Banana Tales creator, veteran comic artist Mark McKenna. On August 11th, from BBC America's The Nerdist, it's writer and stand-up comedian Matt Weinhold. On August 18th, we welcome back actor Doug Jones, who will tell us about filming the Ben Stiller Vince Vaughn comedy, The Watch. And on August 25th, filmmaker Randall Lobb comes out of his shell for his new documentary, Turtle Power. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of the Boston Comic-Con, Planet-Con, and of ComicArtHouse.com. Visit ComicArtHouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your videos. Our show, visit SciFiStarkedMate.com. You can sponsor your own episode. Nice outdoor music provided by the traffic lights. Pick up their CD, Older Folk, at Rob Rome, the Revere Time Board Heart, Vertex, the Sweetheart of the Sound, Adriana, and Grammar Falls Arcarian. Thank you, ladies. Yeah, yeah, my lawn. Board Heart? Realm of Four Color Ball Comics, Illustrator X, Dead Redhead. Thank you, guys. Thank you, and Rhiannon, please stick around after the show. Is yeah. Hi, everybody. Shared pain is lessened. Shared joy is increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everyone. Good night. Woof. I know.